0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you this morning for the Sabbath. That's a palace in time, and uh, not dependent on a place in terms of a structure, but on your presence. And you've promised to enter into this time, and especially bless it, and we ask that you would Bless our time of study together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, we've been doing a small series here on Matthew 24 and the events in Matthew 24 that seem to be repeating themselves um, in this, our time. And we've been considering a kind of a mini-series on that on the Sabbath, As in Matthew 24, it talks about the abomination that would cause desolation. And we saw the abomination of desolation in Daniel the prophet actually mentioned four times, and we suggested that we're living in the last of those four times. And, of course, the abomination of desolation always had to do with God's people not following what God asked them to do, ultimately leading to a Sabbath desecration that caused uh, desolation. And in our last week's message, we looked at Ezekiel chapter 20, and we looked at that familiar text where it says that the Sabbath would be a sign between the Lord and those that they might know that He is the Lord that sanctifies them. And then we were shocked to find that in Ezekiel 20, God's people were actually not keeping the Sabbath, And that's what actually brought the the downfall of Babylon. They were taken captive five years later after Ezekiel 20 was written because of their own Sabbath desecration. And uh, at the midweek service, um, I was going to move on from the Sabbath and go into a message on when to flee the cities, which is the next thing in Matthew 24. And... and, uh, and by the way, lots of people are fleeing the cities now in droves. Um, and uh, there are all kinds of cities where people are getting out. But um, someone said, why don't you do a message on Sabbath observance? So um, I did. I studied hard, and I have a, kind of a new iPad here. And I lost most of my notes this morning. I woke up, I couldn't find them anywhere. So this is uh, a scaled back message on Sabbath observance, (laughs) Um, and I hope the Lord blesses it. As uh, I've been studying the Sabbath and Sabbath observance, I was interested to see if when people came to California during the gold rush, um, what they did in terms of their... um, Religious experience And I found an interesting study um, in one of the journals that I subscribed to a historical journal called "Sabbath on the Overland Trail." Sabbath on the Overland." so they're going over the land trail." Gold was discovered January 24, 1848 at Sutter's Mill, not too far from here, within 20 miles of here. And the ensuing gold rust created a spectacle such as the world had never seen before. The rush to California disrupted all familiar practices, the article said. He who starts across the continent is most sure to leave his religion on the east side of the Missouri River. (laughs) And when one crossed the Mississippi... One traveled far beyond the Sabbath, said the article. (laughs) In other words, intimating that when people came to California, they left the Sabbath behind. Interestingly enough, some years later, about 40 years later, it would be California, that would be the place where a Sunday law was passed, and Wilsey White, the son of James and Ellen White, would be put in jail for running a printing press on the Sabbath. But this was 40 years before that. And they were heading out, coming to California, in search of gold. Many of them had given up on God and prophecy, because in 1844 there had been a prophecy that had not come true. And so some of them were coming, saying, we give up on God, the Bible anyway, and they came to California. They traveled in companies, and the companies each had constitutions and charters that they would write. And the constitution of a good number of these companies provided that the Sabbath was to be observed as a day of rest as they traveled to get some gold. But, the article said, interestingly enough, (laughs) the Overland Trail was a crucible, in which conventional patterns of Sabbath observance were severely tested. Well, how were they tested? The article goes on. Number one, by competition. Bands competed for vital necessities, for grass and for water and for firewood. And so if you stayed behind, everybody would get to the best spots first. And so competition to get to the best spots made a lot of people immediately give up on observing the Sabbath. Number two, anxiousness to get to the promised land of gold. This especially, especially affected the men. The women were more into Sabbath observance than the men. And the materialism engendered by the race for riches spurred people to give up on the Sabbath. And by the way, this is interesting, at the end of time, that will be the same thing, because people will not be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. And many Seventh-day Adventists will receive the mark of the beast, so will many Christians, because something more important than the Sabbath commandment, and that is making money. The economics of Sabbatarianism. <laughs> And, of course, those that had mules wanted to move faster than those who had oxen. Most compromised the Sabbath. Solomon Gorgas from Ohio wrote this in his journal, and they studied quite a number of journals for this article. He remembered the Sabbath as a blessed day of rest and quiet, which he had passed at home with welcome and with joy. But here... There is no rest. On, on is the cry. No rest for man or beast. No preaching. No praying. All respect for the Sabbath of the Lord is here forgotten. If there was a preacher who wanted the preach, he said, "Go ahead and preach while we're doing the other stuff in the camp. And he would stand in the middle of the camp and preach basically to himself. And then he goes into some specifics. What did he mean that the Sabbath was gone, all gone? (laughs) Many things that would be wrong and looked at, he wrote, as highly impeachable and unchristian-like at home must be attended to by wayward travelers. For example, all the immigrants washed and bathed and made repairs, Rearrange their loads on the Sabbath day. (laughs) So he had some idea based on his upbringing and based upon Sabbath observance of his youth before he crossed the Mississippi. (laughs) That you should do your washing and your bathing and your repairs and all your work that you could do before the Sabbath. Ellen White writes, The Sabbath is a test, not a human requirement, but God's test. It is that which will distinguish between those who serve God and those who serve Him not. And upon this point will come the last great conflict of the current controversy between truth and error. Will you give up on the Sabbath? (laughs) That'll be the test. Some people think the test is masks. That's a small test. It's the Sabbath. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, says the commandment. And no duty pertaining to the six working days is to be left for the Sabbath. So what are some nuts and bolts of that? Well, look, look with me in a couple texts today. Exodus chapter. Exodus chapter. Twelve. You have the Passover, and on the Passover, they were instructed to actually prepare the Passover that they could eat, and that Passover could be prepared on the Sabbath, but when you get to Exodus chapter 16, there are some more guidelines given food to preparation, food preparation. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 23. This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So, on the preparation day, baking and boiling was to be taken care of, and it was to be laid up till the next day. And of course, God provided extra manna on that day to teach people that they could rely upon Him and not their own works, but His provision, and they would be saved in doing the right thing by faith. And so Sabbath was an expression of righteousness by faith, not in your own works, but in God's provision. Of course, in Numbers 11, some went out and would collect things and at the time when they were not supposed to collect them. And... Uh, As they went out and collected things, what happened? Well, it actually is in Exodus chapter 16 as well. They found nothing or it would rot and would stink. And then Moses would say to them, Why did you not trust the Lord? Why did you not trust me on the Sabbath day? So food preparation is one of the tests... Of Sabbath observance, prepare food to eat, uh, bake what you will bake in a timely fashion. And also in Exodus 35, verse 3, it says that there could be no fires in the house of those that uh, of the Israelites, which means they didn't have um, fires going on. Could you imagine the children of Israel with a million campfires all going on the Sabbath? It'd be kind of like smoke from today, right? The smoke all over. This is a logistical thing, but they were not to light a fire. So how do we how do we do that here at Weimar? We prepare the food beforehand in our cafeteria, and we don't have workers that are paid but volunteering, and we try and come close to this ideal in what we're doing. Serving the Lord says that we should have simple food on. The Sabbath we should not be rushing around and attempting to have extra special food on the Sabbath, it's supposed to be the simplest food of the week. Another uh, area of Sabbath observance, since we're talking about the Overland Trail, what about travel on the Sabbath? Jeremiah 17, verse 19. Thus saith the Lord to me, Go and stand at the gate of the children of the people, by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out, and all the gates of Jerusalem. Say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah, and all inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring It in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I have commanded your fathers. But they did not obey, nor inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear or receive instruction. They were stubborn. So they were not supposed to be traveling, carrying burdens, In and out of Jerusalem. And they were to hallow, that is to have zealous fever for the Sabbath, like we learned last week. So let me ask you a question Are we careful about our travel on the Sabbath day? Pen of Inspiration says this If we desire the blessing promised to the obedient, we must observe the Sabbath more strictly, I fear. And I fear that we often travel on this day when it might be avoided. In harmony with the light that the Lord has given in regard to the observance of the Sabbath, we should be more careful about traveling in boats or cars on this day. In these matters, we should set a right example before our children and youth. So, Traveling on the Sabbath day that's not needed. Now, how many of you think your kids can tell whether or not the travel you're making is needed? How many think they could figure that out? How many think the kids that go to Weimar are smart enough to figure that out? Now there is needful travel, and it goes on to explain it. In order to reach the churches that need our help and give the message God desires them to hear, it may be necessary for us to travel on the Sabbath. So, if you're traveling on the Sabbath, uh, what should it be for? Sharing the message with someone else, but making all necessary arrangements that you can. So, food preparation, business, and travel. Now, of course, in Jesus' day, you understand they made a mountain out of some of these requirements. You could only have a Sabbath day's journey. Then you had to leave a little bit of food. Then you could go further and further and further. And, uh, but there was no heart love for God, no motivation to do it, other than just to not get in trouble. It wasn't because of a love of God that was motivating them in those rules. Um, rather, it was just fear and also authority and power trips. Number three food preparation, business, and travel. Number three pleasure. Turn away the foot from the Sabbath, your foot from the Sabbath, and doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, honorable, and shall honor him, not seeking your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. And you shall delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause you to rise on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day. So what would that be? There's God's pleasure on his day and your pleasure on his day. (laughs) Um, Now hopefully they'll be the same because you're wanting to do his will. Amen? Amen? But how many, there's a, how many think there's ever a debate in our minds between what God would have us to do and what we want to do? I think mean, that never happens. That ever happened? <laughs> I know it did with me when I was college age. I, I had a, a store called Mac's Snack Shack. When the hungries attack, don't panic. Just call Mac and bring your brown paper, paper sack. and You always come back to Mac and his shack with your sack, as a matter of fact. So I had all these rhymes, I had all these uh, things going, and I had, a, I, had a, I had a really good business going. I actually was more busy with my business than school, um, and I had to restock numerous times during the week, which did take a lot of time. Um, my grades suffered, but my business was, was thriving. And I made a very bad mistake in that I, I, I went direct to a, a soda pop um, company, and I said could you actually deliver, because I have the, they go, wow, we can see that you need deliveries. I mean, I said you don't, you don't, and I said I don't have time to always be running up here, I've got other stuff I've got to do, you know, have got a few classes. And so they said they'd do it, and I failed to mention, you know, when not to deliver things. Which would, of course, be the Sabbath day. I was attending Adventist University. And guess what day they chose to deliver my goods. That's right. The Sabbath day. What time on the Sabbath day? No, it was not a dark of midnight. It was at 11 o'clock in the morning, a big semi comes up, multiple deliveries and I was one of them, and as that huge semi with (laughs) the right one baby on the side uh, with the logo for some major soft drink companies drove by the church, everyone wondered what was happening especially the dean. When the man pulled up and said, I'm here for a delivery. For who? Uh, Max Snack Shack. Have you heard of it? Oh, yes, we've heard of it. (laughs) It's on the second floor. Should probably be the ground floor. And then I got this message. Not a text message, because we could not take our cell phones to church, just like now. Because they did not exist. But anyway. I still remember that call from the dean. It wasn't a call that was delivered over the phone, but it was a call delivered by a very strong deacon who came and took me physically out of the church. And I went back there to face the music. That was the last day of Max Snack Shack. It got shut down. So not doing your business nor doing your pleasure... So, pleasure-seeking, pen of inspiration says, Manuscript 21, page 139. Pleasure-seeking, ball-playing, swimming, are not a necessity, but a sinful neglect of the sacred day sanctified by Jehovah. So, how many think you might be tempted to do any of those things on the Sabbath? How many think that might be a temptation? (laughs) How about watching sports? Maybe not playing, but watching sports. How many think that would be a good pastime on Sabbath? How many think you could keep yourself focused on the Lord at the same time you're watching a high moving, fast paced football game? How many think that is possible? Now, I mention these things to you say, man, this seems like a pretty sober message for the first day back at school. But you know why I mention it? Because studies have shown that within the first three weeks of coming to college, many people lose their religious experience. They lose their moorings, just like the people who traveled over the Overland Trail. They find they have options put before them. And unless they're faithful they will lose their way, as I did when I went to college in the first several months. And it was not helpful to me in the least. (laughs) So food preparation, business and travel, seeking our own pleasure. Well, what then should we do? What should we do? The commandment itself gives us direction, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So first of all, remember the Sabbath day. How often during the week should you remember the Sabbath day? day. Actually every day. So every day you're remembering, and in fact the Hebrew calendar was based on that, Aleph, Beth, Gimel D'Aleph, Heh, Wah, Zen. Aleph, day one of the Sabbath. Beth, day two of the Sabbath. They didn't use Saturn day or Sunday or moon day as the created luminary bodies to memorialize days of the week. They instead used the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and called them the day of the Sabbath. The day of the Sabbath number one, two, three, four, and up to preparation day. So remember, first of all, the Sabbath day every day of the week in preparing for it as the ultimate joy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, so set it apart. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Why so specific about the seventh day? because they were coming out of a system that venerated Sunday. And Sunday was the principal god, was the principal luminary body that was worshipped in Egypt. They had multiple temples, they had multiple commandments, and every single god was connected in some way to the sun god, who was personally exemplified by Amon Re, that is Pharaoh, And Pharaoh was into everything he could make and everything everybody else could make for him. And this is the way it is, even today, in the consumer-driven America. That's why people have a struggle saying, I'm going to keep the Sabbath and not work. That's why they have a struggle not talking about business on the Sabbath day. Pharaoh was the ultimate of that. More bricks. More straw. You're going to try and leave Egypt because you don't want to work. The problem is you don't like work. And if there's one thing we like to talk about, it's about how hard we work. Have you ever heard anyone talk about that? I'm working three jobs. I'm multitasking. I'm watching the stock market even during Sabbath school. So we live in a Pharaoh age, right? And think about how radical it was that God came in and said, worship on not just any day, but the seventh day. And let me tell you why. Because I created you on that day. And if I created you, I can sustain you. So rest. You rest. Your servants rest. Your oxen rest, in other words, your means of production rest. None of it goes on because I created you, and I can sustain you. How many think that's radical? Righteousness by faith in the what? Creator. And I redeemed you. I brought you out. By the way, we had two thousand gods in Egypt. None of them were able to help you at all. I beat them all up. They're gone. Pharaoh's at the bottom of the sea, and here I am, new regime, regime change, the top of this mountain, and I'm giving you my law. I got you out of there. I got you out of slavery. I got you out of bondage. I got you out of consumerism. I got you out of the frantic idea that you have to work every single day. I got you out of that. (laughs) Did you realize that the fourth commandment is directly related to the tenth commandment? It has the same categories. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his ox, nor his whatever he has, his means of production, his family, his whole thing, same thing as the Sabbath does. So coveting and Sabbath-keeping um, or Sabbath-breaking are tied together and at the end of time. You have people that will say, I need to buy and sell. I, I can't stand the idea of not being able to go shopping. I can't, I can't stand the idea of not being able to have money. What am I going to do? And most everybody will just go that way. Versus those that say, wait a minute now, I've learned. So rest in him every week and in every way. How many want to be in that last group? So rest, and ensure the rest of others. You know, the Orthodox Jews, they are fairly, even today, punctilious about their Sabbath observance, but they don't mind if a Gentile does things for them. Because they say the Gentile is going to go to hell anyway. So since they're going to hell anyway, they can fix me lunch. Someone's laughing. Who's laughing? Where is that person laughing? I don't know if that's funny, but anyway. So that was their idea. But do we ever do that? We certainly do. If we decide to go out to eat on Sabbath, we say, hey, go ahead and serve us. We go to a, or if we go to a hotel, say, clean up our room. And we can see the implications. So we should not only be seeking our Rest because we're resting in him, but we should be ensuring the rest of others as a witness. We should read. What did Jesus do? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, Luke four sixteen, and he stood up to do what? He stood up to read. He stood up to study. We should do that as well. We could go on in Luke four sixteen and verse 17. You know, he talks about release of the captives. We could talk about Isaiah 58 and about how we help others in certain ways. We do good on the Sabbath. We take care of people in the hospital on the Sabbath. But Jesus never got paid for doing that on that day. This is where we kind of trip up a bit. We work on the Sabbath and we, sometimes as medical professionals, we say, hey, look. I'm going to take that pay. I remember when I started dating my ex-fiance, now my wife, the mother of the four living creatures. (laughs) And I told her I was going back home to work. She goes, "Uh, what do you do with that money? I said, what do you mean? She goes, do you keep it? I was like, I sensed this was a testing truth, you know. And then she told me how she gave away her money, all the money she made on the Sabbath day. And that brought conviction to me. So I started to do that, started to give away all the money I made on the Sabbath day. Pretty soon I was very popular in the city of Benton Harbor where I worked because people knew I was going to give away all my money if I was working on the Sabbath day that I made that day. So they would come. I still remember this little guy. The last day I was able to do this, it was actually pretty fun to give your money away. Last day I did this, this little boy, runs, he goes, he's here. I can almost see him now in small motion. And by the time I parked, there was like 60 people lined up that wanted to see me because I'm going to give them some money. And they'd buy their crutches or help them with whatever it was, the medicine that they wanted to get. And I remember I got the call from Lori, the charge nurse. She said to me, Don, I want to talk to you. And I was like, all right, so I went up. I told her, so I'm kind of busy right now because <laughs> I was giving my money away. And she goes, I know, that's why I want you to come up. So I went up there. And she says, You know, Don, we really like you. And I said, Look, I've had a number of girlfriends that have broken up with me using that same phrase. Are you breaking up with me? And she said, Potentially. And I said, well, what's, what's the deal? She says, you know, we know you're giving your money away on Sabbath, on what you consider your Sabbath day. And so I, we like you. You were the nurse of the year here at the hospital last year. But even though you're the nurse of the year last year, I'm going to ask you to do something. That if you can't do it, you can't work here anymore. I said, what is that, Lori? She said, you cannot work from sundown Friday to sundown Sabbath Saturday. I said, why did you choose that? She goes, you know why I chose that. <laughs> and you know, that kind of laid a foundation. I, I went to my church in St. Joe. I said to them, you're not gonna believe what happened. I can't work ever again, sundown Friday to <laughs> sundown Saturday. <laughs> and they're like, how did you pull that up? I said, well, I told him, and I said, now all these people, they don't have anyone helping them, which means you have got to come up with the cash to help these people. And so there were a number of physicians that worked in the same hospital I did, and they realized they kind of got convicted too. And I said, you know, we've been taking money for a year. They figured it out. We started to fund. Thousands of dollars came into that fund. By the way, I told this story down at Loma Linda recently. Nobody seemed that interested. I don't know if it was the city I was in. But the reason I mention that is not to be funny, and it's this. If you are double-minded on the Sabbath when it comes to money, you're going to be double-minded everywhere else. And if you're double-minded everywhere else, James says that you're unstable. And that when the crisis comes, you will not stand. How many of you think there needs to be a revival of Sabbath keeping? Nature. That's another thing we can do. We can rest, we can read, we can help others, we can go out in nature. During a portion of the day, all should have an t- opportunity to be outdoors, Of course, today is probably not the best day to be outdoors for very long because of the smoke. How can children receive a more correct knowledge of God? Their minds be better impressed than spending a portion of their time outdoors. Not in play. Not in play. Not in what? Ball playing, swimming, pleasure seeking. Not in play, but in company with their parents. Let their young minds... Be associated with God in the beautiful scenery of nature. Let their attention be called to the tokens of his love to man in his created works. And they will be attracted and interested as they view the beautiful things which he has created for the happiness of men. They will be led to regard him as a tender, loving father. They will see that his prohibitions and injunctions are not made merely to show his power and authority. But that he has the happiness of his children in view. And as the character of God puts on the aspect of love, benevolence, beauty and attraction, they'll be drawn to love Him. You can direct their minds to the lovely birds making the air musical with their happy songs, to the spires of grass, and to the gloriously tinted flowers in their perfection, perfuming the air. All these proclaim the love and skill of the heavenly artist. I was on a trail here the other day with somebody, and I was in my mode of wanting to walk fast, and I said, "Stop! Look at the flowers!" I was like, come on! No, we got to go! And then I read this. I was like, man, that, they were noticing the love of God. Or I was noticing my desire to go fast. Spend time with each other. Over the Sabbath, he places his merciful hand. In his own day, he preserves for the family opportunity to commune with him, with nature, and with one another. Especially, she talks about communing with The Father, (laughs) who's in this particular thing, was gone during the week. A time for prayer and singing. As the sun goes down, let the voice of prayer and hymn of praise mark the close of the sacred hours. And invite God's presence to the cares of the week of labor. So singing, praising, praying, resting. Well, let's close up by going back to the Overland Trail. As you remember, when we started, we were talking about these people who were coming to California. And you all have come to California. You're here today and they left their religion behind, and they left the Sabbath behind, and they left their experience with God behind. Most groups did. Most groups gave up on the Sabbath. They might just for one or two days, but when they got to the elephant, then it all went away for most of them. What was the elephant? Carson City and onward. Through those wide open spaces. When you came to California, you were taken advantage of. <laughs> they would meet you 100 miles away, 100 miles away from getting to California. And when you're thirsty, they'd sell you a glass of water for $100. So they went through a time of trouble and a time of conflict on the 2,500 miles from Missouri to California. And they debated specifically over the Sabbath. How many of you think that's kind of interesting? <laughs> and most everyone compromised as i read through these different summaries of the journals that were kept but there was a couple journals that especially gripped me of the groups that would not william clark of freeport illinois and his companions made their contract with the express understanding that they would not be asked to drive on sundays And they pledged to each other to stand by their bargain and not to be run over by the train boss. But their boss started to tell them to travel on Sabbath. And they would not. One week. Another week. They would not. Finally, the boss said, I'm firing you. You've got to leave. But you can't take your guns with you. So he basically said, you're fired, and you're not going to be able to protect yourself, so just leave. Well, Clark and his companions didn't want to do that, so they drew their guns and said, we want to keep our guns. And they had a showdown. They feared for their lives. They were taking a stand for the Sabbath. And they wrote this. They had men enough to massacre us, but not enough to make us drive on the Sabbath. In other words, you can kill us, fine, but we're not driving on the Sabbath. The boss pleaded with us, but we were adamant. <laughs> Now that word gripped me because I just have been reading the book of Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 2. Where do we get the word adamant? <laughs> it's an excellent word. It's right from the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet. I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered and he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him. And he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. We know exactly they were transgressing the matter of the Sabbath in Ezekiel 20. They are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them. You say to them, Thus saith the Lord God. As for them, whether they refuse to hear or whether they hear, for they're a rebellious people, And they will know that a prophet has been among them. So they'll tell them, regardless if they listen or not, don't be afraid. They're rebellious. Verse 7, you shall speak by words, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. So I opened my mouth. I looked, and there was a scroll, and there was a book in it, verse 9. And he handed it to me. Verse chapter three, verse one, eat what you find, eat the scroll. Verse three at the end. So I ate, it was in my mouth like honey. (laughs) So he had a sweet experience. Look at verse 10. Son of man, receive into your heart all my words when I speak to you and hear with your ears. In other words, love God's word, eat it, it will be sweet and have an experience with me. Be motivated by love for me, by the sweetness of the message. By the way, what does Ezekiel mean? The one the Lord strengthens. And notice what happens as a result. What the prophecy is that he'll have to face. Verse 7 through 9. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because it did not listen to me. It will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Impotent literally means strong of forehead. They're stubborn, especially in the area of the Sabbath. Sometimes if you confront someone about the Sabbath, you should, by the way. What's the text say? If they listen or don't listen, still do it. <laughs> but when you touch on someone, well, what are, you, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you doing on the Sabbath? How many can tell that that might be a tense situation? What's it say? Because they will not listen to me, for all the house of Israel are impotent, hard-headed, And hard-hearted, hard-headed and hard-hearted. But I have made your face, verse 8, strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads, like adamant stone, (laughs) harder than flint. I have made your forehead. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Where is that word adamant from? Ezekiel. And what does it mean? Strong of forehead. Adamant stone is the strongest stone on the Mohs index of stones. You know what stone it is? It's a diamond. We use that stone to cut every other kind of stone. You will be like diamond against quartz. Quartz is like nothing compared to diamond. It's like four levels down. And what's it saying? If you, in fact, listen to God's Word and have a sweetheart experience with the Lord, He'll strengthen your forehead and you'll be able to stand up against anyone else. And you probably will do well in school, too. And we can say amen to that. But you'll never do really well in school if you kind of mix and match. Well, I'm preaching a sermon, but I'm really trying to sell my books to you. (laughs) Don't try and dice and slice. Don't have a divided heart. Have the sweet experience with Jesus, and then you can have an adamant experience like the Clark Party. Never again were we asked to drive on the Sabbath. And at Fort Bridger, they gave us our pay. And our guns. And we made our way to California alone. How many of you want to make your way to California alone? If that's what's necessary. How many want to be the remnant within the dorm if that's what's necessary? How many, anybody know what I'm talking about? How many want to be the remnant in your family if that's what's necessary to stand for the Sabbath? Adamant. Well, look at this. Every every sermon needs to be an Adventist sermon. So let me just show you a little connection here in Revelation chapter 10. Look at Revelation 10. There's another company that's moving out, is given a little book. It's then put in their mouth, and it's sweet as honey in their mouth. They love Jesus, but what do they stand for? Revelation chapter 10. Verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised up his hand to heaven. Probably the right hand, right? (laughs) And swore by him who lives forever, who created heaven, and the things that are in it, and the earth, and the things that are in it, and the sea, and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no more. God's end-time movement heading out in that end-time message, starting that end-time exodus, towards the promised land, and it's not California, but it is a land with streets of gold, what do they stand for? They stand for the scroll. That sweet scroll, just like Ezekiel had. And what's the part of That, that scroll's message? The one who created and ultimately redeemed them. They'll stand for the Sabbath. How many can see that? And they'll be what? They'll be adamant. How many want to be adamant? All right, I'll close with a little story. I remember I baptized this guy. He's a tongue-speaking Pentecostal guy. His name was Sammy. (laughs) Man, every time I went to Sammy's house, he had the the television on with like a Pentecostal choir singing, you know, and different things. He was really into it. His whole life changed. He came in, he goes, the Sabbath is correct. I love the Sabbath. He says, would you, would you write me a letter? He worked at the Boeing Corporation. So I wrote him a letter. And he didn't, I didn't hear anything from him. And about a year later, he came back. He said, Pastor Don, I need another letter. I need another a letter. I said, I said well, what happened? He said, come over. So I went over. And he goes, I said, why do you need a letter? He goes, look at it. It's just all, it's, it's, you can hardly see it. I said, what what happened to my letter? I gave you a beautiful letter. He said, well, they've been shifting me to different places in the Boeing Corporation to accommodate my Sabbath keeping. I will not compromise on the Sabbath. I'm a very good worker, but they now have shifted me like 15 times in the Boeing Corporation. And every single time I go there, I have, to, I have to copy this letter and show it to them. And it's, now it's, it's wearing out. I said, Are you in danger of losing your job? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a very good worker. They like me. But they know that I'm not going to compromise on the Sabbath. And what had God done with him? Allowed him to go all through the plan, every single place. And he demonstrated his love for God. And he was adamant for the Sabbath. And God reached the entire Boeing Corporation with that one faithful guy. There was a decided difference between Sammy and the others. My heart was warmed this summer when I got a text from a student who went here last year or the year before. They told me about how they went to a university south of here. I won't mention it. And when they arrived at this university, they were told, you know, you probably will need to study on the Sabbath to make it, because this is a very rigorous course of study. Now the sad thing is that this was a Sabbatarian institution. I I can't remember exactly where it was, but Sabbatarian institution. And they were actually telling the person... That they would need to, you know, what's more important, really? Being able to make money because you're going to graduate from this place and make a lot of money or the Sabbath? (laughs) It's obvious not the Sabbath. (laughs) So study on the Sabbath day. And my heart warmed when I read the text that the student said, uh, I would not even be here without my values. I wouldn't have gotten this far. And I may not go farther, but I'll tell you one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to study on the Sabbath. person did not study on the Sabbath all year, and they ended up being the top of their class. God honored that. But was that a turning point? Look, you're here, some of you, for the first time in college, and you're nervous. But don't give in to compromise in any way. God will bless you. What about that Overland Trail faithful band? This faithful band laid over on the Sabbath. This is a couple of pictures of these faithful bands that that would not travel on the Sabbath. Ingalls, the band leader, noted with pleasure that his party once passed ten wagons, which pushed ahead of them on the Sabbath ten days earlier. Ends up they took a rest, and then they went, hmm, past all these people. On at least two occasions, Chilson's outfit overtook during the week companies that had passed them as they rest the previous Sabbath. And Chilson noticed that his Sabbath-keeping band reached Carson City ahead of everyone that had traveled West of the Missouri River. All of those that compromised the Sabbath, they got ahead. But then, hmm. Passed them up right at the end. Can you say that? Nice. We're faithful to the God of the Sabbath. We go to heaven. How many think that's a good passing zone? Eternal life instead of just life. Streets of gold instead of some gold. The last one Joseph E. Ware. Immigrants' Guide to California. Here's his recommendation: Never travel on the Sabbath. We're advised. We guarantee that if you lay back on the Sabbath and rest yourself and your teams, that you will get to California twenty days sooner than those who travel seven days a week. So the statistics were in. You don't compromise on the Sabbath? 20 days earlier. One account said 21. I like 21 better than 20. But I couldn't find it. So 20 days earlier. You might seem, it might seem, as though you're going to lose out unless you compromise. But the God of the gold rush is still alive today. So don't compromise because you're now in California. Be adamant. And let that adamacy be based on the sweet scroll of the scriptures and the Advent message. How many want to be adamant Adventists with the Advent hope? May God bless us to that end.